You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, Slaves No Longer, we walk through Romans chapter 6 and explore the beautiful truth that in Christ we are no longer slaves to sin. All right, if you have your Bibles, and I hope that you do, uh, please turn with me to Romans 6. Romans 6. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one near you in in the pew in front of you. Um, actually, if you don't have a Bible, please take that one home with you. Um, make that one your own, um, or we can get you, a, um, if you don't want a hardback, we got some paperbacks in the back. Um, please go ahead and, and take that with you if you do not own one or have one that you can read. Um, again, we've been looking at this series, Slaves No Longer, as we look at Paul's words in Romans 6. And today, we're going to be looking at verses 8 through 14, but we kind of maybe need to remind ourselves of the, the path that we have walked so far, um, just so that we can continue on Paul's argument, to continue to think as Paul is thinking. Because we know that much of the way Paul writes is he kind of connects everything um, together very much so. So um, just let me read Romans 6, beginning in 1, and I'll go ahead and read down to 14 just to kind of give us the flow and maybe stop and, and to point out some of the things that we have been talking about so that whenever we we jump into uh, verse 8 that we're all caught up, we're all on on the same page, so to speak, and then allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, to change us, to mold us um, into His image. So Paul says this in in Romans 6, starting in verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So this, this whole argument that started back in, in chapter 5 saying that where sin exists, grace abounds more. So he makes this rhetorical question or maybe he's uh, questioning somebody within the congregation at, in the Roman churches. But most of all, he might just be teaching well and, and actually um, thinking through and thinking of any objection that might be coming his way. So he's saying, what shall we sin? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So in other words, the logic behind this is, is, hey, if there's more grace every time I sin, then I'll just sin more and get more grace. And he's, he's like, no, what, no way. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? And that's the main thrust. And, and he, he kind of unpacks the rest of the chapter. From He unpacks that phrase with the rest of this chapter. By no means, how can we who die to sin still live in it? And this is, this is who you are. This is what we've been talking about. Because of our union with Christ, this is your identity. This is who you are. Sin no longer has any power over you. If you are in Christ, if you are a Christian today, if you believe in Christ and you have been born again and you've been connected to Him, Sin no longer has any power. And we've been talking over the, the previous weeks how many ways that we, we see that, but we don't feel that. And, and we're going to look at that even more today somewhat. So let me continue. Verse 3 says, Do you uh, not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So he's saying, look at the picture of your baptism. You have died and you have raised again. You now have a new life. Now your new life means that you sin no longer has any power over you. He continues to flesh this out. For if we have been united with him, and this is where we get the union with Christ, uh, United with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. 
We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For who has for for one who has died has been set free from sin. There's the main phrase, the main point of our whole series that we are no longer slaves to sin. Now, picking up in verse eight, what we're going to look at from eight, eight to fourteen. Paul says this, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with him. We know that Christ, uh, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let then, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace. So what we're going to see in these verses, verses 8 through 14, we're going to see a truth to accept, an attitude to possess, and an action to take. That's what we're going to see in these verses. So let me pray for us, and we'll begin to unpack and walk through this. Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that your word is sufficient and enough. It is our bread. It is our life. It is our sustenance, Lord. And we thank you for that. And Father, I pray that we can tune in that as I'm praying right now, the Holy Spirit will help everybody to tune in to see, okay, we're talking about who I am, my identity, and to believe that, and to see this attitude that will then help us to walk and take action in a certain way. Father, help us, please, through your Spirit, work in us. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, there's a, a truth to accept, an attitude to possess, and an action to take. So we've been talking about the first two for the last couple of weeks, this truth to believe. Here's the truth to believe that, brother and sister, you are dead to sin. There, sin no longer has any power over you, right? And we've even actually talked about the attitude a little bit because the attitude is, is related to our value system, which is also related to our identity, who we believe that we are, right? So whenever we, we set our, our identity and structure up, it'll give us certain values, and then we live out of those certain values, so this is, this is Paul's argument. So we're not going to spend a ton of time on the first two. We're going to spend a little bit more time on the action to take. And, and so many times we're like, oh, okay. I mean, at least as a, as, a, as a preacher, you're like, I can. it's easier for me to stand up here and say, this is what Paul tells us to do, than for me to stand up here and say, okay, this is what Paul is telling us to be. That's a little bit harder to, to grasp, right? I know when I read the Bible, it is, and maybe for you. So today we're going to have some things to do, but... Be careful because if we just run out and do them without everything that Paul's already said, then we just become a Pharisee, right? We begin working our way to God. We begin working these things for his pleasure. I mean, to get his, his acceptance. And that's not it. Our acceptance is completely and totally found in Christ Jesus and what he has done 
for us. So there's a truth to accept. In verses 8 through 10, Paul is expanding on the statement he made in the back half of verse 5. He's just kind of expanding on that. In the back half of verse 5, he says this, We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So he's going to expand that. What does that mean? What do you mean there's a, a resurrection like his? That somehow, because of my union with Christ, I now live in this resurrected life. So this is what he's going to flush out in 8 through 10. He says this, Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So Paul is asking the church in Rome and every one of us sitting here today to believe, to accept that your future is secure in Christ. Because see, brother and sister, if we're united to Christ and he died and rose again, then that means we are assured that one day, right, we will die and rise again also. Why? Because Christ was raised from the dead. When we accept, when we believe this gospel truth, is, it raises our confidence. Okay, stop and think. Think about all your fears, all the things that you sit and worry about, the things that run through your mind whenever you're getting ready to lay down to sleep, all the, all the worries of your life. Wait a minute, why, why are we worrying if, if it's all been taken care of? What can man do to you? Nothing. Man could do nothing to you. You've been bought with a price. You have already died is what the passage is arguing. And you have been raised to a new life. And you've been raised to this resurrected life with Jesus. Our future is secure and firm and unshakable and happy in Christ. This, is, this gives us such great hope. This is how we consciously experience the benefits of of our union with Christ. We believe them through the agent of faith. We believe them, we accept them, we bank on them, we rest in them, we are satisfied by them. And see, later on we're going to talk about a battlefield for overcoming sin. We're going to, we're going to talk about these agents of desire that consistently hijack the members of our body and cause us and, and drag us into sin. And the number one fight against that is what you believe to be true about who you are, about what Christ has done for you, about who God is, about what he has done. All those, all those things are factoring in. It's not that we muster up the own strength to stop this. You'll fail every time. There has to be something greater happening. There has to be a way to enact the Holy Spirit that's dwelling in us. And we do that through the word of God. In believing the promises, we believe his grace that is coming to us each and every day, flowing towards us. What I find about myself when I run into things like this in the Bible is, is I have a harder time believing the truth of how God is working in our lives over the, the truth of the text. So let me just flush that out. What do you mean, Joe? Let me just flush that out just for a second. I mean, most of us, if we're Christians for any amount of time, right, one of the things that we kind of like, you know, maybe the first thing that we look at is, well, if I die, I don't go to hell, I go to heaven. That's a good thing. Okay, and maybe that's kind of what, what governs some of what we do as a Christian. And then as we mature and we grow in Christ, we see that it's, it's less about that, which is a great and wonderful thing. Don't, 
Don't get me wrong there, but it's more about, wait a minute, I get to spend eternity with God? Right? That's the greater pleasure. That is the, the greater satisfaction. So many times what, what I do is, is I'll believe that. Most of you sitting here probably in some regards believe that. But what we have a harder time believing is how God works this in us. What do you mean? In other words, the process. So how is it that I can have greater joy and greater satisfaction in the fact that I've been resurrected with, with Christ? Well, it's in believing some things and trusting on some things. And when you believe in these things and trust on these things and preach the gospel to yourself, in that it brings about satisfaction and greater joy and then we don't stumble into sin. See, it's harder to believe that process and live out that process than it is to believe this truth that, oh, okay, when I die, I'll go to heaven and be with Jesus and I won't go to hell. It's harder to believe and trust in and walk in that process. And at least it is for me, and it seems like as we flush this out in our groups and in different places within the church, it seems like that this is the harder part to believe. It's the harder part to walk in and trust in. Wait a minute, you're saying, Joe, if I would just get up and read my Bible and, and see what God has done and, and, and see who I am and see what Christ has done for me and then hold on to that truth for that day, then maybe at the end of the day I'll have a much better day than I did the previous day when I didn't do that? And I would say absolutely, yes. Absolutely you would. Because when, when the time comes and, and, you're, and you're confronted with someone that you know you need to share the gospel with, You'll have confidence to do so because you're already thinking on and believing in what God has said about who you are and what he has done. See, so many times it's so much harder to believe in the process. It's this grace versus works thing that, that we, we just wrestle with. Like, okay, so I know I'm to do something, but I know that, that Jesus already did it for me. Well, yeah, we strive. We strive by believing what Christ has done. And in that, that's what gives us the grace-motivated efforts to glorify Him, to give Him praise in all that we do. And that's the only way we're going to do it. So many times that we, we, do, we do believe these truths, but it's sometimes it's even harder to believe the processes that God uses to do so. Let me give you another example. Like, like okay, whenever we say make much of God, so we're going to give glory to God, this is our mission statement, and to go make disciples of Jesus. Well, the only way that you'll ever go and make a disciple of Jesus is if you are first a disciple of Jesus. Being a disciple of Jesus, right, will naturally have you overflow into other people's lives because you are a disciple of Jesus. We don't think that way. We want, we want a 10-step program or a 6-step program and this, that, and the other to go, give me that thing and I'll go do it and I'll go make a disciple. No, you first be a disciple and then bring them close to you, right, and then, then your life just pours out into them and overflows into them. And it doesn't matter if you've been walking with Christ for 30 years or three days. Christ has given you something to pour into somebody else's cup. See, so in that, what we're going to do is we're going to be sanctified as we do that. And so we believe the truth, but we very seldom believe the process. That's where we get tripped up, is we want to reach out and grab the apple and say, I know better how to do this. So, we will state this truth when asked. What we struggle with is believing and accepting is if you live with 
that in mind all the time, it becomes a core value of your life. So if you're believing this and trusting in this, that this is God's process, this is how he works, this is how he works in me through his word and his spirit, right? It becomes your identity. It becomes who you are. Then as it becomes your identity, it becomes your values. And then you start living out of those values. And as Paul says, what we're going to see in verses 12 through 14 is then we begin to do what he says that we are doing, we need to do, sorry, which is to not give our instruments, our bodies, to unrighteousness, but give it to righteousness, right? So we believe the truth of the declaration far more than we believe the process God lays out. This is part of the fall. We always think that we know better than God. Believing is crucial in experiencing the present power of Christ's resurrection in your life. Believing that our future is glorious, secure, and happy in Christ is one way that we experience the power of Christ now to free us from sin. So what are we believing? Again, we've gone over this already several times. That Christ died to sin once and for all. That he rose from the dead. Now that the life he lives, he lives to God. His resurrection life is a life utterly oriented on and for the glory of God. Whenever you look at Jesus' life all through the Gospels, he does one thing. He goes and he prays and he says, Father, what will you have me to do? And then he goes and does it. If we're a disciple of Jesus, right? We should be going and praying and asking God, what do you want us to do? (laughs) And then trusting and believing that he will give us the power, along with our brothers and sisters in Christ, to go and do it. And then we are living for God. We're living to God. If we are united to Christ by this faith, we have died with Christ. Our sin problem has been dealt with. We will rise. We will live to God. Death will not be master over us. We will never die again. We will share with him eternal life. This is what Paul wants us to experience. That confidence, that hope, that security. And when we do this, new attitude will be true of you. There will be a new attitude. Paul says it in in verse 11. So you also must consider, that's your attitude. You must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Is that your attitude towards sin when it raises up? When you consider yourself dead to sin, you have a new attitude. This is not some self-help statement by Paul to make you feel a certain way. It is a gift from God in which we participate. We participate in this, that we're dead to sin. We accept the truth that if we have a new attitude which is rooted in a new identity, which produces hope, which produces satisfaction, which results in the frequency of presenting ourselves as instruments of righteousness, which is what Paul is going to show us Next, in verses 12 through 14, listen to what Paul is saying to us. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under the law, but under grace." So, what actions are we to take? They're found in verse 13. There's two negatives and one positive. The first negative says this. We must not let sin reign in our mortal body. We must not let sin reign in our mortal body. 
The second thing is also negative. We must not offer our body for unrighteousness. In other words, we, we should not be offering the members of our body. And, and also some would think that we can pull this back and actually look at the, the, the church as the body also. But I think Paul is more specifically talking to us individually as our body parts here. We must not offer our body for unrighteousness. Then what must we do? We just can't live in the negative. We've got to have something positive to do. Well, we must present our body to God as instruments for righteousness. We must present our body to God as instruments for righteousness. So what you see is the battle that we've been talking about. We kind of got into it a little bit last week whenever we were talking about, okay, this is my position. I'm dead to Christ, but yet I don't feel that way. I still struggle with sin. And that's every single one of us in, in this building and every single person sitting in a church today. They're still struggling with sin. Why? Because we're still in this body. And this body has some natural desires and natural inklings like food and drink and, and other things. And what is happening here is, is we have a battlefield. A battlefield has, has been constructed, and, and if we know how the battlefield is constructed, then we can step in with the truth of the Word of God and actually come out victorious. But the great thing is, is we are already victorious. Christ has already won the war. This is just a battle. This is the battle whenever you, you, someone is in front of you going 40 mile an hour in a 55 mile an hour zone, and you just feel it coming up, right? We just know. We're going to say something stupid. <laughs> We're going to let sin reign in our tongue, right? We've all been there. Whatever it is, that's, you know, I drove truck for 18 years, and yeah, never mind. <laughs> never mind. Um, so it's a battlefield. So who and what makes up this conflict? And uh, Piper kind of helped me see this a little bit. And so a little bit of him, a little bit of me here, just trying to, trying to work through this and understand this. Let's look at the verses, and we can see what is being said here. So first of all, there is a kingly throne. And, and, and we're, we're, we're thinking about this. We're trying to use this as an illustration to see this, this ward as this happening. Now, whether you believe this or not, this is happening. Just like whenever Paul tells us in, in Ephesians 6 that, that there is a war happening between the, uh, Satan and, and God and, and, it, and good and evil and all that, and whether or not we believe it or not, it's still happening. You still have someone that is trying to trip you up and, and cause you to sin and, 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 and all that uh, is happening, whether you believe it or not, because, and I believe that because the Word of God says it is happening. So there is a kingly throne or reign. Verse 12 says, do not let sin reign. There is reigning. So if something is reigning, that means it's probably on a throne, right? Is, is something is being contested in this passage. That's what he's starting up to show us. Something's being contested here. There's a throne to be had, right? A throne. When, when something reigns, it has power like a king. Now there's a challenger to the throne, right? Namely sin. Do not let sin reign. So there's, there's a, a throne, there's a, there's, there's a reign that's happening, and there's a challenger to that, to that throne or that reign, and it's sin. Sin is trying to overthrow the throne, and we are called to resist. We're called to resist. Resist by accepting the truth with a new attitude that we have already discussed, right? With, with the new belief of who we are and our, our new values, and, and then also with the new attitude of this is who I am in Christ. Now, there is a town, 
So we got this battlefield that's happening. There's a town to be captured, and that town is under attack, and it's, it's challenged to the throne, and that, that town is your body. It's your body. That's what Paul is trying to, to show us here. It's either the, the pieces and parts of your body that makes up you will either be, be used for unrighteousness or it'll be used for righteousness, one way or the other. And he's calling us to resist the unrighteous. And to, and, to, and to go after the righteous and to go after the pleasing God. So there's a town under attack. There are double agents within the town. Oh, this is where we get tripped up a lot. These double agents run around within our body. They are called desires. This is what Paul says here. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires. So there's certain desires just because we're human that we have. And we got to decide each and every day which desires are we going to follow? Which desires are we actually going to live out of? So, if you think of desires, okay, how am I going to change those desires? By believing this truth that we've been talking about. When we believe this truth, our desires begin to change. Because sin no longer looks as good as Jesus does in all that he has promised I call them double agents because many times these desires are good as long as the, the rebel sin does not capture them and turn them to serve evil. Right? It's many times the desires are good. Right? Each one of us at some level must get up every day and go to work so that we can earn income to, to eat and this, that, and the other. Now, that's a good desire to get up and work. In fact, the Bible says those that don't work should not eat. Now, how far you want to take that, that's, that's beyond our scope of our passage, but that's what the Bible's saying. So that's a good thing, to have a desire to get up and work. But if that desire is so much that you get up at 6 a.m. and you go to work and you come home at 7 p.m. at night and you haven't seen your family and you haven't done anything to love on your family, yes, you are bringing them income, but that desire has, has now been hijacked, right, by sin, because now you're ignoring the family. That's why they're double agents, because many times these desires are good, but they lead us to sin. And we see also in this passage, in verse 12, that there's incremental surrender. Right? We, many times, yes, many times it's like, oh, I go from nothing to, to all in on this sin, but sometimes it's just kind of like little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit by little bit, then all of a sudden you're like, ah. Oh, here I am again, right? See, the word obeys, obey signals this in verse 12, that there's incremental surrender, that we must obey and continue to obey and consistently obey. As, as Nate said, whenever he was talking in between the songs, that sometimes we think that that's a bad thing. No, that's a, that's a good thing. Obeying God is a good thing because he designed everything. So therefore, whenever we obey Christ and our lives are designed as Christ and God designed them, that's a good thing. It'll work out much better for us. It'll work out so much better for us. So there's incremental surrender. If sin, the leader of the revolt, takes some desires captive and sends it in behind the town walls with a deceptive promise, the obedience to that desire would be the surrender of part of the town. So this desire is like, ooh, I want to look at that. I want to look, click on that thing, men, and look at that. That desire is, is affecting my members of my body, the, 
my eyes, my hands, right? There are weapons in the town that may be captured and turned around and used by the enemy for his unrighteous purposes. These weapons are the parts of your body, your eyes and ears and hands and feet and tongue. Let me just expand on one of them as James did, just to give us the idea of of how this one part of our body can be used for good or evil, right? And many of us know, as soon as I mentioned James, know that he's talking about that tongue thing, right? James 3, 7 through 9 says this, For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. This is the battlefield that Paul's talking about in these verses. And that's just one example, is our tongue. Think about over this last week. How many times have you used your tongue for unrighteousness? And how many times have you used your tongue for righteousness? And that will tell you whether or not you're winning the battle. Whether or not you are, are being drawn into using your, the members of your body for unrighteous sake or for righteous sake. Now why are we using this metaphor of a war? Well, in the, in the original language, and, and many times I, I, I don't want to ever make you feel like you can't read your Bible because you don't know the original language. I can't read the original language. I have enough tools to help me understand. But this word instruments that Paul uses over and over, don't let your body be instruments, well, it's also in other places in the Bible used as weapons, right? It's, it's translated weapons, such as in 2 Corinthians 10, 4. For the weapons of our warfare, that's the same word for instruments. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strong, strongholds. So Paul was pointing to this imagery. Don't let the rebel sin capture the members of your body and turn them into weapons against the true king. Don't let the rebel sin capture the members of your body and turn them into weapons against the true king. Which is also something part of the whole battlefield that imagery that we're talking about is there is a true king. There is a true king that should be sitting on the throne and that is God. So we use our body as a weapon of righteousness as you serve God. If God is our king, then our body belongs to him. We are, to, uh, we, are t- we are to be loyal to the king. He made us alive and made us his dwelling place through Jesus Christ. Why do we give him the kingship? Because he is the king and all, everything that he has done for us. That's why we should submit and obey to that. Sin is the enemy, the rebel, uh, the pretender to the throne. And the main way sin does battle is to turn servants into traitors. Turn servants into traitors. And it turns servants' desires into conspirators against the throne. Desires which were appointed to, to, by God to serve us, like desires for food, desire for drink, desire for sex, desire for rest, desire for friends, desire for approval. They're attacked by sin and captured and corrupted and turned into betrayers. These good desires, these natural desires that our bodies produce because we're still in the flesh. Sin takes those desires and turns them against the true king. 
Then these desires, now in service of sin, instead of God, lure us to obey them. When that happens, we stand over our members, eyes, ears, tongue, hands, feet, to serve these desires in their masters. And our members become weapons of unrighteousness. This is what Paul's trying to show us in a simple imagery of of a battlefield. How are we to battle this? How are we to fight in order to have our members serve God as weapons of righteousness? He's already told us. We've been talking about it for three or four weeks. This is why I I took just a minute to to, to show us and maybe to get you thinking, do I believe the truth or do I believe the actual process that God has designed? How do we fight this? How How do we fight this battle? The only sin that you can triumph over in practice is sin that Christ has died for. If he had not died to take away our condemnation, we could make no progress at all in sanctification. You don't make yourself holy in order to be justified. You are justified by faith in order to become holy. You are justified by faith in order to become holy. You triumph over sin in the body follows Christ's triumph over sin on the cross. So what do we do? We believe what Christ has done. We have a new attitude about what Christ has done. And then we live out of that. And as we live out of that, whenever, whenever the, the, the agents, the, the secret agents pop up and those desires pop up, we have the word of God to fight it. We have the spirit of God to fight it with. We have the truth of God to fight it with. And that's how we wage war. Every single one of us. Brother and sister, if you're not waging war day in and day out on sin, I'm wondering if you're really saved. Because how can you be brought from darkness to light and put the Holy Spirit inside of you, and the Holy Spirit's job is to sanctify us from one degree of glory to another. If, all, if God has done all that for those that are in Christ, then guess what? There's a war happening inside of you. And God loves you so much that he gives you a body believers to help fight that war. He gives you the word of God to help fight that war. He gives you the truths of the gospel to help fight that war. That's why we are to preach the gospel to ourselves day in and day out. The gospel, Christ died for your sin. You are no longer guilty. You can no longer need to have shame over it. It's done. He died for it. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. You died and rose again with Christ. We need to preach this to ourselves. Romans 6, 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We have become united with Christ. Romans 6, 5. For if we have been united with him in the death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. God has justified us. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. In other words, that sin that you have been freed from, he made Christ that sin. And that's why when he was punished, the sin died. You no longer, it has no longer has power over you. We are to consider ourselves dead to sin, Romans 6, 11. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
So brother and sister, say no and choose God. Let sin not therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. This is who you are. This is what's happening. This is the the battle that we face every day. But the war is over. The war has been won. When sin sends his secret agents to tempt you, prefer God and his work in his ways, in his promises. If Satan attacks with deceitful desires, counter with reliable desires that will not let you down. Reliable desires that are, that are rooted in the word of God. And that leads to everlasting joy. Everlasting joy. In other words, the frontline battle against sin, which glorifies God, is based on what he has done for us in Christ to forgive our sins and count us righteous in him, and is fought by experiencing death to unrighteous desires and life to new desires, new preferences, God in his way. Now, some of us, I know, are sitting here today and can look back in your life and say, man, I used to struggle and struggle and struggle with this sin, but I no longer, blessed be to God, struggle with it anymore. You know why? Because you've actually believed that you are dead to that sin. It's dead in you. The desire for that sin no longer, no longer takes your members captive. Why? Because you have, you have probably learned some things about Christ. You have learned some promises in his word that this is what you trust in. This is who I am. I'm no longer that person. This is the Christian life. This is every day. This is what the church is designed for. It's to help us to fight sin to glorify God, and then to go and get those that God's called to himself through telling them what Christ has done for us, and then bring them in, and then help them start their process of fighting sin and becoming more holy and becoming more joyful. This is a wonderful design. We just are called today to labor, to know what God has done for you in Christ. See, there's the effort. The effort is to actually know what he has done for us in Christ, to actually read the word of God, to actually be with our brothers and sisters, and as iron sharpens iron, we work these things out. And look to him continually until we, you see him, we see him together as preferable, as satisfactory to all other things. That's what we're called to do from Paul's passage in Romans. Let me pray for us. Father, we need your help. Father, sometimes this, the way that you have set up your kingdom, Lord, we just need help believing Help our unbelief. That it's about pushing in to see all that you have done for us. To learning what your word says about who we are and all that you have done. And Lord, it's about believing that we are dead to sin. 
And we are dead to the guilt, to the shame, to the fear that sin causes in our lives. And Father, we, just, we need your help to believe this and to walk in this. And Father, I just pray today, if anybody here has not believed for the first time that you are who you say you are, that you have died for our sins, that you went to the grave, that you rose again, that all our sins are forgiven. Lord, I pray that they would stop trusting in whatever they might be trusting in today and turn and trust in your wonderful, glorious Son and all that he has done for us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would give someone faith to do that today. We ask all that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.